Welcome to Tag Talks Happy Hour with Ajit Kara. One part small talk, all parts real talk. This is the part of the day when Ajit gets to know the people behind the job titles at Tag. Hello and welcome. This is Ajit Kara. I'm the Tag CEO for the Americas. Welcome to Ajit Kara's Happy Hour. Those of you that know me, uh, most of you know that I believe that Tag's very blessed to have the biggest asset in the world, which is an amazing set of folks and people. So I decided to do this podcast to deeply understand a little bit more about the people that work here, what makes them tick, and genuinely to get to understand them a bit more. So today, I'm delighted that I'm going to be joined by Mark Knowles, our GM of Creative Services. Mark, welcome to my happy hour. Cheers. I love that you put on your podcast voice as well. <laughs> well, hang on. Before we start, you have to test that this is real red wine. Oh, I've already drunk it, mate. Don't worry. Is, yeah. is it nice? Yeah, it's delicious. Mm. It is um, gone 12 o'clock, so it's all good. Mark, thank you for agreeing to do this podcast. Thank you. Really appreciate it. So, folks listening to you for the first time, which I'm sure is quite rare because most people know you, you don't have an American accent, so where did you come from? I don't. I came from Southampton, where the Titanic sailed from. Uh, it's the only way that I can locate <laughs> any American as to where I actually grew up. Right, so, right. Yeah, it's a tiny little town on the south coast of England. And when did you come here? I moved over here in 2012, right. um, so I've been here for now 10 years. Actually, 10 years this year, so it's been a little while. And you love it here, do you? I do. Life is very different here than it is in the UK. It was funny, I, I'd gone back a little while ago, and it was the first time I'd gone back pre-COVID, sort of COVID, so yeah. it's been a while since I've been back. But I remembered it differently than when I was growing up. I almost remembered it like it was more from like a film, almost. Right. Right. Um, so you sort of got that Harry Potter vibe, right? I lived in like this it's, really tiny little smaller. village. Yes. The roads are smaller. Yeah, yeah, roads are smaller. You get the phosphorescent fuzz <laughs> of like the lampposts in the middle of the night, and everything's really still and quiet. And but it's there's just, better bacon there. There is a lot better bacon there, yeah. And chocolate and Marmite. Marmite, you're a Marmite man. I love Marmite. Are oh, you actually, a Bovel man? No, I don't eat either of them. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I always cancel the podcast. And <laughs> That's it. That's a wrap, guys. We're off. <laughs> <laughs> How else is it different? I noticed for me it was, when I don't want you to offend anyone from the UK, but it's the lack of blue skies. I mean, they have blue skies, obviously, but when I came to the east coast of America, I'm always surprised at how much blue light there is. And even if it's a snowstorm the next yeah, day, it's beautiful yeah. blue. And yeah, yeah it, just, it just feels a different well, I think you remember it with like rose-tinted glasses, right? Mm. Like when you're there, you don't appreciate for what it is. But I think yeah. when you go back, you sort of acknowledge the things that you loved and you miss, you know? Yeah. So I think when I go back, I'm actually really envious of my friends that have just grown up in that little lazy, sleepy town sure. all their life. And they're still there. They've never moved. They're still in the same place they've always used to be. Something about that is quite attractive to me. I think I'm actually a lot older than I actually am, and I would like to retire now. <laughs> and, well, uh, I think you look great for 92. <laughs> <laughs> my wife does believe that I should get more salt and pepper in my beard, so I think uh, as I get older... I'm well, that old. is a very impressive beard. That Does that take a lot of grooming? None at all. None, None at, at all. all. That's natural. Just naturally this beautiful. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> so you moved not far from me. So you live in Stamford, Connecticut. I know that because you do stalk me from time to time. I do. I like to drive past your house and uh, just look, see if you're up middle of the night, see if you're in front of the window. Yeah. <laughs> I have noticed that, actually. <laughs> but that's a nice part of the world to be in. Um, what do you enjoy about Stanford? Well, so funny enough, when I first met my wife, and many people will know that I actually met my wife at work, 
she was a producer at Taylor James and we met like five years ago. Yep. So she was from Connecticut originally and I was going to go and buy a house in New Jersey when I met her and she quickly put the kibosh on that <laughs> and was like, no, you should come back up to Connecticut. It's lovely up there. And I think in going up there, it was much more similar to home, right? right. So it was kind of more like the typical sleepy village that I'd right. sort of grown up in a little bit. So I think there was sort of a parallel that I could draw. And it was the big open green spaces, like you said, you know, the sort of forests, things like that. Yeah. Her mum lives in a beautiful gaming lodge on the top of a hill in North Stanford, just around the corner from me, actually. And that, for me, was just like an absolute winner. So it's not that I married my wife because of my mother-in-law, of course. Well, <laughs> she said something different to me when I spoke to her the other day. But let me take you back to your childhood then. So Southampton, mm -hmm. where the Titanic left. Tell me about growing up. Tell me about your mum and dad, early memories. What did your dad do? What did your mum do? So my dad, unfortunately, passed away. So he passed away when he was 62. I'm sorry to hear that. He passed away young, but I have very fond memories of him growing up was always there. So he worked for uh, Customs and Excise. Right. And he was the international trade and business Ooh. along all of the ports in the South Coast. So he would do like Southampton, Portsmouth, Dover, and he would work with big businesses to orchestrate their international trade. So import, export sort of stuff. And then sort of later in his career, he became a bit of a delegate for Customs and Excise and a sort of representative meeting trade delegations that would sort of come into the country got some very interesting gifts from kazakhstan i believe um so <laughs> this could answer why and i'm going to come on to talk about it, that you're perceiving one of the most interesting people that i know because you seem to know something about everything I and mean, does that come from do you yeah. know what that's an interesting question because i've been doing a little bit of uh, i suppose not really soul searching but it's interesting the people you meet in the profession that we work yeah. in, right and we've just been out to san francisco last week talking to a client and i was just in awe of their drive and ambition and fondness for their brand and i think to sort of bring it back to my parents it's the work ethic right yeah. i relate to a lot of people that have got a really good work ethic and that's part of the reason that i love working at tag is because we've got so many people with such a great work ethic and such a good passion and such drive and determination yeah and fun um, and fun yeah, yeah absolutely and i think you feed off of the energy right yeah. so that's always been one of the good things about taylor james for me is that aspect of the business yeah. has always taken me on that journey with them and, and you sort of get caught up in the wave you know yeah but dad instilled that work ethic in me he was such a ferocious worker incredibly intelligent incredibly understated the most humble man you'll ever meet, incredibly loved by his colleagues, yeah. right? And he had a huge team that he was managing. And one of the things that I will always remember is at his funeral, I stood up and did a eulogy and I would have been about 30. And I've never been a shy public speaker, right? I've always been sort of a core strength of me. So wrote this eulogy, stood up at the front of the funeral and literally people had traveled from far and wide That's to amazing. be there. And there were about 350 people at this funeral. And I didn't know half, like not even half of them. I didn't even know a third of them. A third of them were my family and they were the only people I knew there. But all of these people from his work life had traveled, that he had sort of kept work and family separate. But um, that was testament to who he was and who people thought he was as well and how much they thought of him. One wonderful closure there. I mean, wonderful to be able to celebrate that. I, I mean, without wishing to go down a slightly dark turn, but I think that's one of the downsides of COVID. Like I lost my father during COVID and I always thought there was going to be similar to your father, an amazing group of people that comes out because yeah. he was such a larger-than-life figure and right. touched many lives. And right. my father's not one. There's many people that have suffered the same thing, that COVID took away a decent send-off right. and a decent funeral. Yeah. It's a shame. Oh, completely. And it, it truly was. You talk about closure. And I can remember I couldn't look up, right? I couldn't look up and see these 350 people that were standing in front of me. It was the one time in my life that I think I struggled to sort of like actually talk, other than the birth of my son, when I truly realized... Speechless. It, right? Did yeah. you get that with yeah, your kids? Yeah, 
Yeah, I felt I wasn't worthy. So when my kids yeah. came on, I'm thinking, Interesting. oh my God, I'm not worthy of this. In the run-up to having your kids, yeah. right, are you the sort of person that is a, a pre-thinker, somebody that thinks ahead, somebody that sort of gets caught up in the moment, or do you just live in the moment and sort of get there and be like, oh, this is amazing? Because I am very much the latter, and I didn't think about it in the run-up to the pregnancy because I kind of felt like it was harder to relate because I wasn't carrying this child, right? No, I was sort sure. of living next to my wife. And I know, by the way, going off on many tangents here, that you have another on the way, so you've got I two. Do. I so do. So congratulations on that, by the way. Two under two. Yeah. Wonderful. Mine are 28 and 26. So, yeah. so the reason I mention the age is that it was a different time uh-huh. in those days. I was extremely busy at work. I didn't really have time to think about it too much, and we kind of learned on yeah. the fly, and it does change you, you know, clearly. I think we are better these days around absorbing the moment, taking the best of it. I think we're getting better at that, and yeah. certainly we push it here in TAG, as you know, to try and make it quite a embracing experience from all parties. It's, it's a life-changing model. Yeah, it was such an interesting I wasn't prepared for the moment. Obviously, we had a COVID kid, right? So sure. basically, it was me and my wife and the nurse in the delivery room, right? And then this kid pops out. And up until that moment, I don't think it had hit me that it was truly happening. And then they give you this child. And I was genuinely rendered speechless. I couldn't. They asked me what the name of the child was. I was like, oh, I couldn't I couldn't say your, anything. Your wife will say to the first time she saw you speak. She genuinely would. And I don't think I will ever use that term again, knowing how... It truly hit me. Right? And the next day you were back on calls. No, no, actually, no, you guys were great. I got like three weeks of paternity leave. It was brilliant. But it was nice to be able to sort of spend that time at home as well. Like, I don't think I truly put it into perspective how much COVID actually benefited us. Not only benefited my wife in the maternity or in the pregnancy well, process. How we found it. And so, as you know, we made the call to not make it compulsory for anyone to come back and yeah. embrace this kind of work-life balance and yeah. you know, coming to the office when you need to come in and et cetera. You used to be in the office all the time. Well, actually, yeah. I thought I was a long day worker, but you used to beat me on that one. How have you found the transition that the work volumes haven't slowed down? Yeah. But we're doing it differently. Yeah. Truly transformative. And you're always at the forefront of thinking around that, aren't you? Yeah. It's truly transformative. It's interesting. I was thinking about this this morning on the way in, and I think that the advertising world, it attracts a certain type of character, right? And it attracts that sort of very driven, hungry, passionate person. And I think that we get enveloped in the creative process of producing content, right? And that's where our drive comes from and our our sort of passion. You talk about passion a lot. And I think that that hasn't changed, but it's created a better balance for the team, not having to do the commute, not having to do the commute home. They're there for their children and their kids. That's the thing, you know, you talk about sacrifice, these driven people, that something, there's always compromise, right? So I think that that has been truly transformative. The people are a lot happier, right? And I think there's a lot of people that have resisted that change and you made a call early on to embrace it. And I think it's now paying dividends, you know? Well, I want to come back to your childhood because there's a part of your history that I'm fascinated about. (laughs) There's so much about your history that I'm fascinated because we have a similar thing that you wanted to be a certain type of career and you went for that and you didn't make it. So I want to know what you went for and why you didn't make it. So... I truly wanted to be a police dog handler when I was younger. And it was like, I was fixated on it. So my uncle, he worked in the RAF and he was actually a photographer and he would sort of travel around all over the world and take basically reconnaissance imagery. Whereas a dog handler doesn't travel around they, the world. They don't, and they don't fly very well either. But he took these beautiful pictures of these dogs on the airbase and they sent them to me and they were like really amazing. That actually was where I first got a love of photography as well. And he sent this stuff to me, but I was like, oh man, that'd be really cool to be a dog handler, right? And then... 
think over time that kind of got into being a police dog handler and I guess I'd sort of gone on that journey and convinced myself that's what I wanted to do and then I had applied for it whilst I was actually I'd finished college so I'd already studied computer animation at this point I was living on the Isle of Wight and I had bought myself a book right and I don't actually read books an awful lot I listen to audiobooks all the time and I bought myself this book about preparing for the police kind of like exam and I applied and got rejected like immediately absolute honestly I don't think I could have filed the application they could have turned around quicker and gone, no, sorry. <laughs> and I reflect on that because I'm genuinely curious. You don't get feedback as to why you didn't get in, right? So I'm genuinely curious as to why I didn't get in. The interesting thing about that is that, one, by the way, I wanted to be a police officer as well. Oh, yeah? I didn't apply. My father just wasn't yeah. supportive about me becoming a police officer, but I always wanted to be a police officer. And if I'm interested today, uh-huh. if I could, I'd still want to be a police officer. I think it's a calling in life that I probably never will be able to live. But I look at you and how you... One, physically look, and how you deal with situations around how calm you... I could imagine you being a British Bobby, you know, which for the people that don't understand Bobby, <laughs> it's the slang word of a police officer. But I can imagine you being yeah. a police officer in the UK. I really can. I'm just picturing you with one of the big, big hats <laughs> on at the moment and, like, a little truncheon. And <laughs> let's, let's not go in for the, all the jokes from the Rowan Atkinson era that we know about police officers. But I can yeah. really see you being a police officer. Do you, do you know what I think it was? When you do the application, they ask you about your kind of life experience, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. when have you ever been in a situation where there's been conflict? Or when have you had to mediate a situation? Or when have you had to draw on something that's made you feel really uncomfortable, right? I had none of those life experiences at the time. I'd not lived. I'd lived quite a sheltered, privileged upbringing. It's just you or you had brothers and sisters? I've got a brother. Right. But we come from a very working class family. My nan and granddad were like super working class. They had five kids. And those five kids got the ethic from my grandparents. And we got the ethic from my parents and turned that into kind of where we all are now. And we've all done really well for ourselves as a result of that work ethic that you yeah. can really go back to my dad's parents. But it meant that our moral compass was very sound. And in some respects, that was a downside because yeah. I never was in a fight at school. You'd be shocked at what the police officers have to do then. So. Right, yeah. yeah. I don't think I could relate to the questions very well. And I think that's a big part of the reason why I didn't get in. I think your work ethic thing is transferred because mm. in America, the work ethic and what people do, I think, is absolute, actually. It's almost like if you want to progress, you work hard and Not you true. collaborate well and you, yeah. do, you do well. It's an interesting one. We'll get onto this a little bit later when I ask you some questions. But George Rex put me onto this Diary of a CEO podcast and everybody hears me talk about it because I love it at the moment. And it's about a guy, Stephen Bartlett, and he ran Social Chain, which is like a $300 million social media company. And he talks about work ethic and he talks about the fact that it's a little bit of a taboo subject, right, in today's age where you shouldn't have to overwork to overachieve, right? And I think that I struggle with that like my generation i'm technically a millennial as i found out the other day i wasn't entirely sure where i sort of straddled (laughs) the generations yeah i'm not an ex i'm not a boomer whatever so i i wasn't sure where i sort of sat on that but we are the efficiency generation right we've micromanaged our time to the point where we can do more and i think that that translates into a different type of work ethic like i work hard the only way i can do what i do is work hard i'm not the most intelligent person in the room ever i'm never the brightest spark but i will work hard right that's how i didn't have good exams i wasn't amazing at that stuff um, but i had to work hard to do it see i i I think exams and other things are important but they're a test in a moment in time i think you've got um intelligence in the right areas and you've got people empathy and you've got collaboration skills you've got a hunger to learn and I think I'm agreeing with you because I realize that in the generation that I was growing up in, you had to be in before your boss and be there after yeah, your boss. Right. And is that kind of work thing. Mm-hmm. We've moved to an environment where people now measure you on your output. Yes. And that, yeah, you know, absolutely. through technologies, yeah. you may be paying a bill or checking your balances or, you know, 
the, the, the kind of mix of home and work is becoming intermingled. Yeah. And I think how you prioritize around that right. and understand that is actually quite important. And yeah. I think you do it really well. No, I think it's, um, it's, it's a fascinating shift. The, the acceleration is interesting as well. Like, I don't think we could have ever had such a transformative shift in work-life balance or working practices as COVID has brought on. But, but back to you, because your mind goes in so many different directions. I, I do, the I do, thread I know, of this podcast. I, I do. <laughs> You're probably going to be one of my most challenging people to keep on some sort of conversation because your mind, in a good way, does move in different directions all the time. And I was, how do you actually keep abreast? Because the reason why I secretly call you the most interesting man is that you seem to know something about everything. So how do you create that level of knowledge? Do you read? Do you absorb? I mean, Do you know what? I think it comes from computer animation, right? I, I never... I. I loved it so much and I still do. And I don't ever feel like I got the time to actually perfect my craft of being on the box and being an animator, but I love keeping up with the technology, the industry, and that has far reaching effects. And I think the interesting thing about computer animation is that the skills that you learn across so many different disciplines, they actually transfer to a lot of things you wouldn't even think about, right? Because so many of the core skills that you have are traditional skills. It might be like 2D design or animation or like things that harken back to the day of Disney, right? So I think transferable knowledge is actually something really interesting. So if you can pick up the thread of something, right, or you can relate to one specific thing as part of the conversation, yeah. you can quickly draw on different pools of knowledge from a lot of different places to kind of form a bigger picture thinking in the moment. One, as you know, rather childishly, my two most favorite films in the world are Frozen 1 and Frozen 2. <laughs> and You make those, a great Olaf. Exactly, exactly. I love that character. And watching the making of mm -hmm. Frozen, Frozen 2 it was, and you realize the hard work, the yeah. complexity, yeah. the time, and how they mm. bring it all together. Mm. So when you watch something as amazing mm. as that, the work behind it is yeah. astonishing. And in many ways, you and the team are doing things similar to that. Like it does expose you. It's not as yeah. simple as people think it is when exactly. you see something totally. done. And it does expand your kind of, yeah. I think the unique position as well is like, I never had a desire to be part of film, right? I never wanted to be the cog in the machine. I wanted to be the generalist that did everything. Um, and for me, like... Hence your title, general manager. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so so I, I think that for me, learning a bit about everything was more attractive than learning everything about one thing. And I sort of apply that knowledge today. Like, I couldn't have been more excited to fly out to San Francisco last week because we were learning about something new. It was something we've never sold before. It was a new client that we'd never known about. So, so your children um, are going to have to compete with your curiosity as they grow up, aren't they? I think curiosity is a really good word. And it's not something that I've attributed to myself before. But yeah, hopefully, I would love to be able to say I'll pass curiosity on to my kids. Yeah. Well, look, I, I, I see it in you all the time. If I ever need to do something, I'm going to do Solar soon, and I'm going to come to you because yeah. I know you did the Solar yeah. work around that there piece. Now, the other thing is from a sporting poet. Oh, yes. Right. Tell me about your sport and how good you are. I think a little known fact among the team is that I, I'm a big fan of table tennis, but it goes back much further than table tennis. I've played sports all my life, like all my life, every sport. You any... do leave clues, by the way, in when we have WebEx team calls. Yeah. There's the sports bag in the corner. <laughs> you do leave clues. <laughs> there we go. So you could spy it. So uh, now I, at school, anything I could do to get involved in sports, to be in an extracurricular team, sports on the weekend, sports in the evenings, I would do it. That was my forte. I was a very practical kid. So like anything that was like IT, anything that was hands-on, design technology, anything that was like physical education, loved geography and things like that. But really, anything that I could do with my hands, I would be all over. Is your table tennis as good as, what's that film? 
Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump Tertia. Are you Forrest Gump Tertia? I mean, I can't do it with both hands, but I can certainly do it good with one hand. Yeah. Funnily enough, I've just started again in January. So there's a club up in Westchester that's really big. And I'm sort of working my way back up for the bottom again. They give you a rating system, right, at the club. So anybody over 2,000 is like serious good. And I haven't played for about eight years, nine years. So I've got to sort of like earn my way back up. And what attracts you to table tennis? Like most sports are people lose themselves or they... Table tennis strikes me as when I used to play as a kid. Your focus has got to be continual and, you know, but what is it? Are you relaxing? Are you enjoying the... I was sitting there last night, literally, I played last night. So I was sitting there thinking about this and there is no sport like it, right? It's the most explosive sport. But is it tactical or is it like in other sports you're playing a tactical game like snooker? But how is this tactical? Because it's really a physical... There's actually a multitude of reasons why I love it, right? So first and foremost, I actually love it for the social aspect of it because in no other sport can you meet a 12-year-old kid that can whoop your ass and a 90-year-old guy that can also whoop your ass, right? There's a complete even playing field across sex, gender, diversity, whatever the case might be, it doesn't matter. I'd say golf is the same. Possibly. Well, yes, possibly. I still think that there's some strength-related, like I was actually reading an article yesterday about the difference in terms of muscle systems between males and females and why males have 25% more muscle fibers than females, therefore they can lift more. It was very interesting anyway, but there's still that sort of like general divide. They don't co-mingle in terms of where they play, whereas in table tennis, you can totally do it. So you um, can literally have a 12-year-old yeah, play in I, I get beaten by them all the time. So that aspect, the social aspect and the level playing field is really interesting. I love the explosive nature of the sport. It's so quick, right? And to your point about how quick it keeps your mind, you have to think in the milliseconds, right? You have to be able to react very, very quickly. Unfortunately, my mind is actually quicker than my body now. So, uh, so <laughs> my, my body is about 10 seconds delayed. <laughs> So it's been wonderful speaking to you, but this is the time. We've got, we got to stop. we got to finish. We can carry on if you want. But <laughs> I was going to say, you have the freedom to maybe ask me any okay. questions. And unfortunately, I don't know what you're going to ask. No, me. you don't, which is exciting. So back to my Diary of a CEO podcast. So he has big, high-profile CEOs on, and I took a leaf out of his book. And I, I wanted to evolve one of his questions. So he talks a lot about whether or not you're afraid of death, right? But that's not the question I'm going to ask you. If you had to die for a cause, and it wasn't your family, yeah. What cause would you die for? Yeah, that's an interesting question. I'm not going to give you the normal answers, the sensible answers, like I would die for my country and all this sort yeah, of stuff, yeah. because I, yeah, clearly yeah. that's up there. Which I, country? That's actually another good question. <laughs> I was born in India, raised yeah. in the UK, yeah. and now I'm a citizen of America. Yeah. So I think all three of those, yeah. I still feel kinship to India, yeah. kinship yeah. to the United Kingdom, and yeah. a kinship to obviously yeah. America. But I think I would die for silliness, humor. Yeah. That's a good answer. Where, if I'm honest, my God is humor and silliness. Oh, I love that answer. And I would, would you confirm I had no idea to prep for this at all? You didn't, not in any way, shape or form. I've not told anybody this question. That's a great answer. That's what I would die on the for, because you know that I can't resist good humor. I love good I love humor. Um, and that will be my cause. Do you know what? That's a brilliant answer because a lot of, the conversation around what would you regret on your deathbed, right? Is, were you happy, right? Yeah. And I think silliness and humour makes us happy, right? So well, it's, that's it's true. Like, well, it's like Spike Milligan, yeah. if you remember the, yeah. on his gravestone, mm. he had engraved, I told them I was ill. <laughs> that, that to me is yeah. extremely funny. But damn it, I thought I was going to call you to catch you out with that. <laughs> oh, that was really good. Now, Mark, can I just say that you are 
a testimony to why I love this company and the people that work for it so much. You have a wonderful passion for people. Intellectual curiosity that I mm. talked about is far-reaching. You get involved in all the right things. You are a good person, an interesting person, mm. a growing family. Yeah. I wish you all happiness, success, and health. Thank you. And want to thank you for yeah. being part of our business. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. That is good wine. It is good wine, and I finished it. So. <laughs> Join us soon for another episode of Tag Talks Happy Hour with Ajit Kara and learn more about the people behind the job titles at Tag. Yeah.